Well, a few weeks ago, I was uh, I was meeting with the Dugans, actually, with Pam and with Phil, and we were talking about um, participation and in church involvement and stuff. And Phil made this comment. He said something like, um, "Well, we're part of the bricks and mortar of Jubilee." In only the way Phil can say that, if you know Phil. And uh, the and I thought, oh, that's neat. I like that. And I kept thinking about it as I went away. I kept thinking about, yeah, the bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar. And so I, as I was coming to January and praying about, you know, whether we take January and and pause Luke and do some kind of church life series. Well, what would that look like? What would that sound like? As we kind of continue to say, talk about who we are as a church and what does that look like? What does it mean for us? That phrase kept coming around in my mind, bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar. And because the truth is that for so many hundreds of years, we in the church, we talked about the church as a building, as a building with a bricks and mortar. And we'd say things like, oh, I'm going to church or, oh, I'm not going to church or where is your church? And we're talking about a place, a biz- usually it was a building. And the truth is that um, church was never meant to be a building with bricks and mortar. And uh, in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You can put it up. It's, if you click next, it's there. It's magical. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, the church was meant to be a people who are the bricks and mortar of a spiritual house. We're meant to be the temple, the temple of God. And together we make up the bricks and mortar of the church. That's what it looks like. That's what, who, we, who we are. We're proclaiming the kingdom. And so we're going to spend the month of January and we're going to We're going to talk about what does it mean for us to be the bricks and mortar of Jubilee? What does it mean for us to be the bricks and mortar of the church? What does the the Bible say about what does that look like for us? And so that's exciting. I think it'll be good. So this morning, um, next slide, we're talking about a culture of invitation. A culture of invitation. Last year, actually, someone was saying that about a year ago at this time. um, Where were we? We were... We were just meeting in the evenings. January, we met Sunday evenings as we prepared for launch and we were getting ready. And on those evenings, we talked about what kinds of cultures we wanted to build as a church, who we were going to be, what, what kinds of things do we want it to feel like and look like. And I think one of those really important things would be a culture of invitation. So this morning, we're talking from John chapter 1. So you can turn there with me if you have your Bible. John chapter 1. Verses 43 to 49. It's a story where Jesus is calling uh, disciples, and there's this story in the middle of it all. Uh, in John 1, chapter, 40, or ch- chapter 1, verse 43 to 49. It says this, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the Bethsaida, sorry, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said of him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, 
Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And what I want to talk about is this two-part evangelism strategy that Jesus exemplifies his followers do it. And, and as we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see these two ways of reaching people happening. And the first way is that people, people are inviting. They're saying, come and see. Come and see Jesus. And they bring people to Jesus. And the other way is Jesus tells his disciples, go and tell people. Go, and, go into that town. Go into that town. And so you got people bringing and inviting people to Jesus. And then you got people going out and, and they're telling. They're speaking of good news. And uh, so this morning, my big idea is, as followers of Jesus, we are compelled to be invitational people. Invitation involves risk. It involves risk. That's why I think often we struggle to be invitational people, because there's risk involved. Would you invite someone to something if you knew 100% that they were not going to come? If they were going to say no, you knew they were going to say no. Would you invite someone? Probably, like, only we might do that for a wedding if you had a certain number of seats and you knew someone wasn't going to come. You'd be like, I'll invite them to the wedding, but they're not going to take up a seat. So that's okay then. But really, any other situation, if we knew someone was going to say no, we just wouldn't invite them because why get the rejection, right? You invite someone who you think might say yes. And that's really part of the struggle is, is we struggle with rejection, um, Dwayne Newfeld passed on. He mentioned this TED Talk to me. And it's this guy named Jia Zhang. And uh, he, does, he did 100 Days of Rejection. It's called What I Learned in 100 Days of Rejection. And it's basically the story of this guy who he started this business, this company, and his investors pulled out and he was really resting. He wanted to be Bill Gates and he struggled with this. And he realized that his struggle, his deep, deep struggle was that he was afraid of rejection. And it was holding him back. And it struck, you know, he connected to his childhood and he, all these things. So he said, how am I going to deal with rejection? So he went out and he said, okay, how, what am I? And he looked up all these things and he found um, this rejection therapy, which is basically like this guy wrote and said, it, if you can do 30 days of rejection therapy, so every day for 30 days you go and you do something you know you will be rejected for. And, uh, and in 30 days of this, kind of, you'll be, you know, immune to it, maybe by the end. I guess this is the hope. And so this guy, Jiajang, he said, okay, I'm going to do 100 days because I really want to get rid of this. So the, he's like, okay, and I'm going to make a video blog. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to keep track. So the first day he went, and he, he, he decided he was going to ask a stranger to borrow $100. So he went down, and in his, the big building, office building where they worked, there was a security guard, and he went, and he saw this guy sitting at the desk. And so he went over, and he said, hey, and he, was, he says, I was feeling, like, sick. I was pale. I was sweaty. And he's, so he goes to this guy, and he says, can I borrow $100 from you? And the guy's like, no. Why? Why on earth? And he said, I didn't even answer. I just turned around and walked away. I was mortified. He was mortified. He said, I just, I, I went into the room. <laughs> what did I do that for? It was, he felt awful. And then he started thinking. He said, why did I leave? The guy asked me why. I could have said why. But I didn't. So he said, next time I'm going to try to say why. So the next day, his next thing was he's going to ask for a burger refill. So he goes to his favorite burger place. He gets his burger, eats it, and then he goes up to the counter. and He says, hey, I'd like a burger refill. And the guy says, oh, we don't do burger refills. 
And he said, or no, they said, what's a burger refill? And he said, you know how you get a drink refill? I'd like a burger refill. And they said, we don't do that. And he said he wanted to turn around and walk away again. But instead he stood there, he said he stayed. And then he said, well, maybe you should. And they said, well, that's an idea. I could talk about it with my manager, but I can't keep a burger refill right now. And so they had this conversation. And the next day, the, he asked for, I think it was donuts in the shape of, a, of the Olympics, like special made donuts at Krispy Kreme. And they ended up making them for him. And he's got 100 days of things he does. They're so, they're so funny, actually, if you look at it. And very interesting. And it struck me that as I listened to him and as I thought about the things he's doing, that most of us struggle with this fear of rejection on some level. So for some of us, it's really, it's huge. And others of us, it's more minor. But I think most of us struggle with this, like a fear of rejection. And so, you know, we're worried about like, if I invite someone, what happens if they say no? Or what if they reject me in some way? And so some of the lessons this guy has learned and he wrote down, I think are applicable to us as we think about becoming a culture of having a culture of invitation. So here's a few. He's had lots of them. You can look them up. But here's a few that I think are applicable to us as we look at being, a, a, be, being that kind of invitational people. The first one, rejection is human. Rejection is human. Because rejection is this human interaction with two sides. It's the freedom of people to be able to say yes or no. And so it's a human thing. We're going to encounter it throughout our whole lives on some level, in some way, in some situation. And we got to get used to the fact that this is just a part of our life together as people. Secondly, rejection is an opinion. Rejection's an opinion. It's heavily influenced, he says, by historical context, cultural differences, or psychological factors. It's it's really not about you. It's about them. They got their, an opinion, and they can say yes or no. And so that's what it's more about than this kind of universal rejection of me or of what's happening. Thirdly, rejection has a number. So when you go to invite people and they say no, usually we're like, okay, they said no. Okay, have you asked them again? No, they said no. They said no once. And the statistics say that a salesperson hears no five times before they hear a yes. That's why we're not all in sales because we couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. Be like, no, they said no, I'm done. It's over. Five times. So what happens when you invite someone and they say no? Invita- or rejection has a number. So maybe it's five or six times. I know Roger Drew, who was at our old church, used to invite people six or seven times to come to the Alpha course sometimes before someone would say yes. And then they'd come and they'd love it. Six or seven times. This is what it means. Uh, number four would be ask why before goodbye. These are things this guy put together when he experienced this. So continuing the conversation, that's saying I'm not just going to walk away. So instead of walking away, he asked the question, why? And what he would say is all rejection is feedback. Because I could invite you to something, you could say no, and I could walk away mortified. Or I could say, well, why? You could say, well, I have this other thing going on, but I'd love to come to the next one. Oh, okay, well, that gives me information about you and what's going on. Fifthly, retreat, don't run. So it's that picture of like, no, and we run away. We get a no, oh, you know, retreat. So maybe say, oh, well, could I, you know, if you're not going to come for Sunday gathering, maybe you want to go for a coffee, or maybe there's some other way we could approach that. So maybe there's some other place where I'll get a yes. Number six, give a why. Give a why. So by explaining the reason why you're asking or you're inviting, sometimes people that because has power. 
And in people's lives, they say, oh, well, oh, you care about that. Or, oh, that's why you were asking me. Okay, that gives me information. So giving the why. Number seven, start with I. So a lot of times we go up to someone and you say, can you come to this thing or can you do this thing? And you put it on them instead of saying, hey, I was thinking about this and this is what's going on and I'd love to invite you. So bringing yourself and your connection into the situation, there's, there's something beautiful there. There's power there. Uh, number eight, acknowledge your doubts. Acknowledge doubts. So it helps them to trust you when you say, hey, I know this is a bit crazy. Or, hey, I know you're so busy and you got all this stuff going on, but... I'd like to invite you to this. Right away, they say, oh, you know about me. Okay, that's good. You know this is crazy. You know that's a bit weird. Okay, well, I'm glad you acknowledge that. So maybe I will come. In order to become, there, so that he has like 30 of them or whatever. So lots and lots of great lessons that we could learn. And I think that apply. But in order to become invitational people, we'll need to shed our fear of rejection. We'll need to work that through. If that's one of our issues, we're going to have to work it through. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. In this statement, Jesus says, it's not just, it's not you. Let me take the rejection. So instead of us carrying it as a personal rejection over us, Jesus says, let me take that. I'll take that rejection upon myself. It's not us they reject. It's him. That's what Jesus says. Some of you are on the other side of the fear or the fear of rejection, and you're on the other side of it, and maybe it's the fear of acceptance. So some of you are afraid, you you struggle with inviting people because you're afraid they're going to say yes. And we think about, yeah, no, I want people to say yes. And then you say, what if they say yes? Then what happens? Then I have this pressure and this expectation, and then I have to manage them. And what if they think it's weird? Or what if, you know, they don't like my dad? Or what if, you know, whatever the thing is, right? Like, whatever. The, I, I invited a friend to Wildman Weekend. He's a guy who was my assistant coach when I was coaching Elijah's team. And his son is the same age as Elijah, and they've done a bunch of stuff together. So we have a relationship. So I said, I think they would love Wildman. So I invited him, and the first time I invited him, there he is. The first time I invited him, he came. That's, why, that's the picture. The first time I invited him, he said, yeah, I'm 70%. I was like, oh, that's good, 70%. Okay, so then I had to ask him again. And then he moved up to 80, and then I asked him again. And then, so I had to repeatedly, I had to work through my own stuff here and keep asking, keep asking. And then finally, I, I did that. I wrote a letter and said, hey, I really think you would appreciate this. You'd like it. And finally, he said, okay, sign me up. And as soon as he said, sign me up, we're in 100%. My, sum, my stomach kind of sank. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, now he's going to be there. Like, what if the guys are weird? All our Christian guys, are, what if they act weird? You know, what if he meets Tim Dirksen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, what? I don't know. Like, this, now I've started, I'm starting to feel the pressure of, of someone coming and the expectation and the responsibility. And I realized that maybe my struggle is that I'm not confident that this is good news. I'm not confident that this is a life-changing opportunity. I, I start to think of this kind of like it's a burden, like, oh, I don't want to burden you, or I don't want to be add an extra thing in your schedule, or I don't want to, you know, make you uncomfortable in any way at all, ever. And the truth is, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel because he knows it's powerful. He knows it's life-transforming and life-giving. And so when he's inviting, when he's encountering people, he's not ashamed, he's not afraid of it because he knows it's so good, it's so incredible. And I think this is also something we need to wrap our minds and our hearts around as we become invitational. There is risk. Secondly, invitation is about opportunity. It's about opportunity. We see this when uh, Philip and Nathaniel in our story are interacting. And Philip is talking to Nathaniel, and his reaction, his response to Philip would be, is crushing. You know, Philip comes and says, Jesus, he's Jesus, he's awesome, he's incredible. And Nathaniel says, Jesus is from Nazareth? Podunk Nazareth? Like backwater Nazareth? For real? Like, can anything good come out of that? Like, it's Nazareth. It's like small town. No, there's no one famous from Nazareth. In Maple Ridge, we've got those like hometown hero cards. Have you ever seen those? They're at the rec center. You go by and you're like, oh, look at all these amazing people who've done things. This sports person, this race car driver, you know, that one, this one. Nazareth, their board is just empty. It's like hometown heroes, there's no cards. You say, no, there's no one good out of Nazareth. So what's the, you know, we're going to put a card up there? I, I really doubt it. And Philip's response is, come and see. Just come and see. There's no argument. He doesn't make a big case. He just says, you just got to come and see this guy. Just come and see him, and you'll, you'll believe it. Words are important. Our words are important, and that's why we use specific words. As, you know, as we're a community, Jubilee, we, we like to choose certain words and use those words. That's why we call our gathering time a gathering and not a service or not going to church. We like to call it we're going to the gathering of the church because those words are important. It's why we say we are Jubilee, not we're going to Jubilee. Maybe some of you are like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know we'd tell you that. Well, I say it a lot, so maybe it's going in subconsciously. Or why we talk about gathering and scattering, because we want to use these pictures and continue to speak those words over us over and over until we start to understand what this is meant to look like. Our mission statement is this. Jubilee is a growing community of believers in Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows encountering Jesus and creating opportunities for others to do the same. And that word opportunities is in there. It's not in there randomly. Oh, we're looking for a word. What word? Oh, let's put in the word opportunities. That sounds pretty good. Opportunities, is, it's in there because opportunity cannot be easily frustrated. If your, your goal is to create opportunity, it can't be easily frustrated. I experienced this as a worship leader. So years and years ago, I led worship at our church. That was one of my jobs, one of my roles. And so I was sharing with my spiritual advisor one time, and I was saying, I'm really getting frustrated. You know, we had this worship thing, and like hardly anyone came. Or like, you know, when we do, when we have worship time, it's like it doesn't feel like everyone's responding. There's people at the back talking. Someone else, you know, I can see they're not really into it, and it's really bothering me. And my spiritual advisor said, oh, it sounds like you're frustrated. I said, yes, I'm frustrated. And he said, well, you know, a frustration comes from an unrealistic goal. That maybe someone else has the power over that goal instead of you. And I was like, shut up. Why do you say those things? It doesn't make any sense. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, oh, that's right. And then, you know, he's like, okay, well, what would be, what would be a goal that is not frustratable as a worship leader? And so I thought, well, my, if my goal was to just create an opportunity for people to worship, then 
I could do that, and actually no one else can ruin it for me. I just, I'm creating the opportunity. There it is. You can participate or not. And when I did that, I found like, wow, I feel so much better about this. Like, people can join in or not. And actually, it gives other people freedom to join in because they're like, oh, John's not being weird right now. <laughs> he just seems happier. <gasps> you know, suddenly, like, the frustration level goes down. And I think the same thing applies for us. What if our goal, what, what if our success as a community was to create opportunity? was just to create opportunity for people. And in that, we invite people. So we're creating opportunity, and then we're inviting people in. What if Jubilee was known as an invitational church? People said, wow, that, that church, we can invite it all the time to things there. Yeah, and I've heard of them, and they've invited me to something. How incredible would that be? What if it was Super Bowl parties, or Christmas Eve gatherings, or Easter Sunday, or small group potlucks? or kids camp in the summer, or Timberline Hoot Nanny, or a community carnival, or a dinner at someone's house, or hey, we're going to the park, or Sunday morning worship. It could be any number of things. What if the neighborhood knew us because they'd been invited three or four times a year to something we were doing that was, you know, very accessible? What if your friends and coworkers knew you were part of a church because you'd invited them to something? repeatedly invited them. What could that be like? Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 14 about invitation and about opportunity. And I'd like to read it. And um, we'll look at a few applications that come out of the story. It's in Luke chapter 14. And so as I read it, I want you to think, there's lots of things we could take from it, but just to think about the invitational part of it as we're being, becoming inviters, um, what we can glean from this. This is what Jesus says. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. She, he should be really cool. I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you, you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Interesting story Jesus is telling. I think there's a few applications as becoming invitational people we can take from this. So here's a few of them. The first one is to think of it like a feast. Think of it like a feast. This is the picture Jesus uses, and actually it's a picture that's used repeatedly, that we're inviting people to a feast. Often I think of like, I'm going to invite someone to something, and I think of it as the burden. But if I was picturing, I'm inviting you to a feast, free feast, I'd be like, hey, you got to come to this. It's a free feast. It's like food and drinks and air. It's awesome. It's going to be like a big party. I'd be excited to invite someone. So changing our thinking to begin thinking about I'm inviting people to a feast. In fact, in Isaiah 55, God uses this language. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. 
It's this picture of feasting and food and drink to meet, satisfy your soul. So our job is to extend an exciting invitation. That's why it's called good news over and over and over. Good news. It's good news. It's good news. Is it really good news? Yes, it's good news. The second one is this isn't your feast. This isn't your feast. It would be weird if the servants in this thing were inviting people and they give their excuses and then the servants get angry. How could you do this? How could you reject my invitation? It'd be weird. In the story, it's so clear. The servant's bringing the master's invitation. And that's the picture is this isn't your feast. This is the master's feast. So if somebody accepts or rejects the invitation, it's his feast. He's the one who can be upset or not. And we're, we're just extending invitation. Our job is to do this without taking it personally. Thirdly, people will say no. People will say no. In Jesus' time, it was the people he's talking to are the religious elite, the Pharisees, the experts of the law. He's giving them a message and saying, you guys aren't receiving the invitation. Even though you're invited, you have chosen to reject it, and you won't be at the feast is how it works. People are going to say no, and we need to conquer our fear of rejection and be able to say, I'm just going to invite. And some of them will say yes, and some of them will say no. The fourth one is people you don't expect will say yes. People you don't expect will say yes. In this, in this picture, it's these people who were the outcasts. It's the unexpected who end up at this feast. It's the, the lame and the poor and the blind and the rejected and the orphans and lepers. I think for myself, I like to look at people and say, yeah, I know about where they're at. Yeah, I got them nailed. They're pretty close. They're not so close. Even I'm a big Jeremy over there. Like, I handed out invitations to my soccer team. And there were some people that we were launching our church. And I handed out invitations, and I thought, yeah, this is a yes. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're going to come. They're going to come. Hey, Jeremy, yeah, here's one. Yeah, like, I was not expecting. I did not know. I, in my, I can't see into the heart of people. Guess who shows up? Jeremy and Debbie and their family. It's awesome, right? You don't know what's going on inside of people. You know a little slice of someone's story. So the, the picture is invite everyone. You never know. Someone who's really antagonistic could be their day, and they break and end up coming in. So don't, you, don't, you don't judge. You let God look at the heart and invite. Becoming invitational people will mean changing how we view invitation. And lastly, we're inviting people to Jesus. We're inviting people to Jesus. And I think this is so important. Another one of our stories is Ed and Karen. I love telling your story. But, um, you know, Ed and Karen, their kids, they, they were part of the kids camp in the summer. And Joe, little Joe, he loved the music so much. Every day he was up here dancing away. And so, you know, and Karen came to the barbecue and we invited them and said, hey, you can come back. And she said, okay, well, you know, he loves the music so much. He was devastated. It was ending. Kids camp was ending. And so we said, well, come back on Sunday. And I thought, well, maybe they'll show up. Maybe they won't. And the whole family, they all showed up on Sunday. And I said, wow, they came. This is awesome. And that first day, Karen said, you know, I'm not a religious person, but who am I to hold Joe back? He wants to be here for the music. And I thought, they probably won't stay around very long because this is pretty weird. Like, let's be honest. Isn't church gathering a little bit weird? I mean, we're like, There's some weirdness to it, right? And there's some weird people here. 
too. I was worried about you guys. So, you know, week after week, they were coming back, and I thought, oh, you know, next week they won't come back. This is too, it's got to be too weird. And week after week, they kept coming. And I kept thinking, oh, no, this will be their last week. And then finally one week, they, they weren't there. And I said, oh, I knew it. I knew it was too good to last. But I'm glad, you know, it was a miracle they came that many weeks, and the next week they came back. Yeah, we were at Playland. Just took one week off. I was like, what? And so I went and talked to them, and you know what? You know what Karen said? She said, my whole life, people told me about the church, what it was like. And then now that I'm here, I realize it's lies. What I've been looking for my whole life was here all this time. And here they are, participating, jumping in. It's awesome. It's, that's the picture. We're not inviting people to an event. We're not inviting them to a meeting. I'm not inviting them to an idea or an argument that I'm going to win somehow. We are inviting people to the living presence of the living God, Jesus. His ability to transform lives. I don't think we'll become invitational people until we change our perspective on this. You know, I had glasses in grade five. I wear contacts and glasses. I remember in grade five when I got my glasses, my dad took me. He's the glasses man. Thank him for my glasses. And in grade five, I put them on and I went to school and I thought, oh, I didn't know the world was this crisp and clear. All this time, I just thought the world was getting blurrier and blurrier. That's just how the world was. And that's how it is when you get those glasses. Or for some of you, maybe you wear sunglasses. And I had a pair of sunglasses that made everything kind of more yellowy. And the pair I have right now makes everything kind of blue. And we kind of... You know, how, what you're looking through impacts how you think the world is. And your perspective is like this. It colors and it shapes what you see. If you think that this is about you, invitation will always be hard. It will always be a struggle. If you, if you feel like you need to sustain yourself, do, do you feel like maybe feel like I need to sustain this person or this thing as they come do you feel maybe you wrestle with the heavy expectation or the burden of, oh, if I invite or oh, I have to invite or I got to do this, this is all about me. Or maybe you feel unduly frustrated by rejection, by a rejected invitation. So someone says no to your invitation. Oh, I knew they didn't like me. I knew this was about me because you think it's about you. If you think this is about Jesus, then I think invitation becomes more and more of a joy. More and more of a joy. Do you feel a healthy detachment? You can invite, and they say yes or no. Hey, that's them, and Jesus is here doing his work. Are you able to repeat an invitation? I think that's a good uh, indicator in my own heart. Can I repeat an invitation? Do I invite someone and say, oh, yeah, they said no. Okay, well, that's it. Or can I come back and say, hey, you know, you were at 70%. Hey, I know you haven't mentioned it again. Hey, how are you at now? Can you still want to come? I'd love for you to come. Oh, you're at 80%. Okay, I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to ask you again until you commit. Repeated invitation. Do you, another good indicator is, do you pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in those people's lives? If it's about me, then I'm not really praying. I'm just trying harder. If it's about him, then I'm bringing them to prayer. Oh, Lord, I want to invite them. Lord, would you be working in their life? Would you be working in their heart? Because this is about you, God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. 
He's doing the work. He's transforming us. And even in other people's lives, we look at their lives. It's him. He's doing it. He's making us more into his likeness and his image. So this is about him. I think we become more invitational the more we see Jesus as the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. His story in Matthew 13 is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. It's this picture of like, it's incredible. When you find it, when you encounter Jesus, when you meet him and he begins to transform your life, it's like you found the best treasure ever in the world. And you would sell and give everything you have in order to possess it, in order to, for it to be real for you. That's the picture. So we, want, we aren't inviting people to, even to this awesome community of amazing people. We all know, you know, we're working on it. We're all on the journey. But we're not, this is not a community of perfect people. I'm not inviting people in. We have the best community ever and the most perfect people ever, and you should join our community. That's not what we're inviting people to. We're inviting people to the treasure of relationship with Jesus, to an encounter with him. Secondly, Jesus is responsible. We become invitational people when we see Jesus as ultimately responsible, not us. This is the story of the woman at the well. There's this woman, Jesus goes, he's going into Samaria, and the Samaritans and the Jews don't get along, and he sends his disciples into town to buy food, and he's out there at the well, and this woman comes out at the bad time of the day. She's not out with the other women for a reason. She's disreputable. She, you know, okay, we'll worry about this lady. She comes out, and she sees the Jewish rabbi, and he starts talking to her. And in the conversation, he addresses her, and he knows everything about her life. He talks about all her husbands and her, the guy she's with right now, and he exposes everything, and he speaks to her with such love and compassion that she runs back into town, and this is what she says to people. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she invites people, and she comes. Now, I picture this woman bringing her whole town out to this well where she just met this guy. Is she, is she carrying this responsibility? Well, um, what if he doesn't do this again? Like, he just kind of read my mail. Is he going to do that for them? Or what's going to happen? Okay, everyone, just tone down the expectation. I Like, she just says, come and see him. You just got to meet him, just like Philip. Come and see this guy. And the responsibility is on Jesus then to meet these people, to heal them, to encounter them, to save them. He's the Savior, not us. We invite people to the care and responsibility of Jesus. And thirdly, Jesus is the change. Jesus is the change. We become invitational people when we see Jesus is the one who's doing the changing. And this is our story. Verse 48 to 49. Nathaniel starts out by saying, anything good from Nazareth? Who's this guy? Like, I just don't even believe this could be. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus answers, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answers him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. That's his response. You are the king of Israel. How does Nathaniel move from disdain to worship? To, yeah, who's this backwater guy coming out of Nazareth? Thinks he's all that. To, you are the king. You are the son of God. How does that happen? Because he met Jesus is how that happened. How does he move from doubt to discipleship to becoming a follower of Jesus? Because he met Jesus. That's how. Philip didn't convince him with some great argument. Well, you know who else came from Nazareth? Um, Martha Stewart or whoever. No, he meets Jesus. 
And that's what changes him. Philip doesn't even get mentioned again. This story isn't about Philip. It's about Jesus and Nathaniel and how Nathaniel meets Jesus and is changed. We invite people to come and belong to opportunity. And in that journey of coming and belonging, we trust that by his spirit, by his transforming work, people become. And that's the journey of Jubilee. We're becoming more and more like him as we grow and as we journey together. This is the picture. So in conclusion, as followers of Jesus, we are compelled to be invitational people. As a church community, if we're going to grow this kind of culture, then we need to understand some things. Firstly, that invitation is a risk. And so because it's a risk, we need to shed our fear of rejection. We need to work that through. And if there's things coming up, memories of stuff we struggled with, we need to bring that to Jesus and allow him to bring healing for us. Secondly, that we would begin to see um, invitation as opportunity. It's just opportunity. We're just offering it to people, and they can respond. Some of them will come. Some of them won't come. This is good news, though. And thirdly, that we change our view that invitation is not about us, but it's about Jesus. That we're not bringing people to us or somehow to win them over with some great thing. It's we're bringing them to Jesus. And Jesus is going to win them over because he's incredible and life-transforming. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, it's one of the things that happened when you were walking around physically on the earth when people met you, when they encountered you, when their lives were changed by you, they wanted to go tell other people and bring them to you. And um, that in that invitation to come and see, Lord, that there's so much freedom for us because it's scary for me. And I, and I don't always know how to do it. And sometimes I feel the burden of this word evangelism. And Lord, the, the picture of invitation of bringing people to you and allowing you to do your work Lord, is very freeing to me. And so I pray for all of us, God, that we would be able to engage with becoming invitational people in freedom, that it would be a a freedom that we walk in, a joyful thing as we come to see the beauty in um, people encountering you and their lives being changed by you. Jesus, we say we love you so much. We ask that you would do this work in our lives and in our hearts. Amen.